Inclusion is a mindset. It is a way of thinking. It is not a program that we run or a classroom in our school or a favor we do for someone. Inclusion is who we are. It is who we must strive to be. This quote comes from Lisa Friedman, Removing the Stumbling Block. I'm Raleigh. And I'm Danielle. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. You know what? They're right about that. It is inspiring. That 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 you feel inspired on Adobe <laughs> really inspired us to get started yeah, today. Absolutely. How's it going? It is going well. Yeah. You? It's. I mean, we got through March. Yeah, the worst school month of the year. And I don't think it was arguably that bad this year. I guess. Yeah. But I say it is. I feel like hopefully May will be. You know why? Better. Because in New England, we did not have too much snow, and I think that's maybe that's just me personally feeling yeah. that way. But I think that helped. I'm looking forward to. We get out early this year, so I'm looking forward to the end of the mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. very fast. Um, it's on the horizon. Yeah. So, Raleigh, I have big news. Yes. This is our 30th episode. Wow! Congratulations! <laughs> Congrats. You, you don't look a day over 29. <laughs> you look a little younger than that. Um, and we wanted to thank Kelly from Minnesota for helping us and joining the team to start helping us with some social media stuff because as everyone who listens knows we promote it every week and we're just not good at follow through so kelly's our follow through and we really appreciate having her on the team so thank you kelly thanks kelly all right right. so should we get into our topic today i guess this comes um from a request on our facebook page um so today we're going to talk about how to determine services yes and so i feel like you have great knowledge behind that because of what you do um, and I have a more global understanding. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely speak to it through the related services lens. I think that what has been, I, something I've noticed in the last, yeah, maybe decade, maybe a little less, the trends are sort of shifting to where you provide service delivery. It does tend to be incumbent upon the, the provider, so the OT, the speech pathologist, the adaptive phys ed, PT, et cetera, et cetera, to determine based on their evaluations and their findings what would make the most sense. I think what we've started to see, um, and my related service providers out there probably um, understand this, is we get a little bit of pushback at times from outside parties who want to influence kind of that decision about how we determine the service delivery. So I will just, for an example, I will, someone will recommend that I evaluate a student. I will observe them. I will evaluate. I will run my assessments and and have the student participate in all of that. And then based on how they're performing in the classroom and based on what my results are, I'm coming up with what I think is the best approach for how much time they should be receiving that service. There are districts and places that will have to to, uh, delineate whether it's provided in the classroom, outside the classroom, um, whether it's like a kid is completely pulled away from regular education settings. So there's all those sorts of markers and determinations. Where I am, because I'm in such a specialized setting, everything's provided basically in a special ed setting. So we're always in a different part of that IEP grid. But... Oftentimes, you know, we're presenting at this meeting and we're saying, here's what we think. And usually as a, as the expert in the field, people are respecting that opinion. I think where we get stuck is um, often what I've been saying to a lot of colleagues lately is when you evaluate a student, at least in Massachusetts, you're evaluating every three years. And it feels like a really long time to wait to say, well, we have to retest to say this child has now surpassed their goals and they're ready for discharge. 
Typically, you have to wait the three years. You obviously could call or reconvene and have those test that testing and consent for the testing signed. You could test again. Um, but I think I feel that in, in current times, we're getting a lot of pushback around when to discharge a student, when to pick up a student. There's a lot of influence from outside people, as I said. Sometimes we get neuropsychological reports, not sure if there are any neuropsychologists out there, but that are kind of explicitly saying in a report that a student needs, you know, three times 30 of OT in school. They're not requesting a consultation. They're not requesting an OT observe. They're saying point blank, this child needs this service, which I think as somebody who's in the field, in my specialty, it's disappointing and frustrating to not be included in that conversation and have someone just say that. And then you get, you know, outside parent, whoever, uh, guardian pushing and saying, well, this document said this, so you must now provide that level mm-hmm. of service. So I think it's twofold. I think it's determining based on your assessment, how much they need up front, but it's also determining when it might be time to move them on and whether you're able to do that. And I think you have to show a lot of that progress and they're making their, they're hitting the goals, they're hitting the objectives, and now it's not really a time to be receiving that service, whether pulled out or pushed in, because that's still too restrictive. And maybe they're ready to just have the accommodations and modifications in the classroom that doesn't require a person specifically with them. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I try to remember the special ed team to, to tell the special ed team pretty consistently internally, so your teachers, your service providers, just reminding or grounding yourselves in the least restrictive environment yes. and keeping yep. that in mind. And so um, we've done a lot of work this year, really making that the forefront of some of our conversations as it relates to service delivery. And so, you know, I think just taking a step back and thinking about service delivery, you have your A grid, which is your consultation mm-hmm. services. So anytime um, the the special, the service provider wants to consult with the with the team or with the family, um, that would go under grid A. Grid B is your push-in services. And then grid C is your pull all your most restrictive pull-out services. And so what we've been doing a lot of this year is the research shows that the more you push in mm-hmm. and provide the service in the moment, that's when kids are going to generalize the skill more often than not. So we've been really testing at the secondary level using some of our um, C grid services supports within the B grid. So we've been calling it like reading consultation within the B grid and having the teacher be able to have the flexibility to go into different classes throughout the school year and push in with the student to help provide some more of those, um, the goal, like the goals and objectives within the classroom setting to help generalize those skills. So it's really, I mean, it's interesting, the response. I thought I would get more pushback from parents and other people, and we haven't. That's great. Um, We've only tested on a few kids where we know it would be successful, but as Mm -hmm. it starts to roll out um, in a larger margin, especially at the secondary level, I think that we'll see what happens. But, you know, you really want to think about what is least restrictive for students. Well, I like the flexibility is so important too. And especially, you know, sometimes I have students who start with me at age seven and they're 13 moving on to 14 and you know, their, their advocates, their parents, their guardians want that service to stay a certain way. And it's kind of rigid and unmoving in their mindset. And I think trying to explain how they're still going to receive some type of support. It may not look exactly the same, or it may not, 
but it may be more, I always like to think of an IEP as very collaborative and comprehensive, and it may start out choppier as kids are getting the services for the first time. It's very siloed perhaps, but the best IEPs to me are ones where everybody's threading through each other's goals and objectives, and it's really comprehensive. People are working on the same things, and your expertise is where you're getting that nuance and it can be in the classroom if it has to be outside the classroom. Obviously, that's not what we ideally want. That's been a shift. I've been in this field a long time and I've seen that it used to be every kid was, you know, twice a week, 30 minutes, pull them out of class. Like it was very rare to have a kid once a week. It was very rare to push in with kids. Now, most I'd say more than half of my caseload is once a week and a lot of them I'm pushing into class with them. And that's just the more natural, you know, functional environment for them. And that's fostering more independence. Obviously, you have the students who just really need to work on things in isolation, and that becomes more important, I guess, than being in a certain class with kids. But I, we never want to pull kids away from the curriculum if we don't absolutely have to. Well, I think a lot of districts that I've seen, like from a public school lens, elementary seems a lot more easier to integrate um, any related services yes. into the school day because generally you have one general education <clears throat> teacher, you have one special education teacher, you're not bouncing from grade to grade. It doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, it means a lot in terms of kids learning and growth. But in, when you think about high school, it's all credit based. They need a certain number of credits to graduate. So they can't be pulled from this class or they shouldn't be pulled from that class because it all means something. And if they miss a class, then it. And so there's like some I, I see a lot of contention at the secondary level between general educators and special educators or related service providers, either in testing when pulling kids for testing or in um, actually pulling them out for service. And so you really cross a fine line with service, I mean, with um, civil rights, mm -hmm. if you're always pulling kids from electives right. or something. So it's just an interesting balance. But what I'm also seeing as it relates to that is um, services being recommended based on schedules, the school schedule. So the middle school schedule runs for 45 minutes. A speech and language person will say one times 45 yeah. and I'm like that's a long time right. and so reframing that for them like you can pull it like that's an adult problem right the extra 50 if you only need them for 30 minutes pull them for 30 minutes the other piece of that that's an adult problem right. but we shouldn't be restricting kids more because of a schedule because it works yeah and that's I think that is probably one of the hardest from a public school perspective one of the hardest Things is to not, you know, you don't want to upset people by saying, I'm only pulling this student for 30 minutes twice a week. And then it's like, well, what are they going to do the other 15? Right. It's like, oh, it's tough. But it's, yeah, it's cookies. Well, you got to be flexible with yeah. that. And I think, you know, there's ways to work around all this stuff. I mean, it, it, again, we, I think sometimes we lose the, what is the actual thing that we're trying to address when we're trying to meet everybody's opinions and mm -hmm. wants and worries and we, we have to still be able to come back to what's the best practice. And I think that can be tough because everybody has two cents to add to it. And, you know, like I said, I think sometimes I worry about holding on to kids too long because there is this fear that if they're removing that service, then it's something's going to detrimentally occur. And I always try to talk to, you know, when I'm in team meetings to say, like, this is actually a really positive sign. What this is showing is this all has worked. You know, this, this OT that we've, re we've provided or the speech we've provided for six years, five years, it's worked. This student is where they need to be. Now it becomes how did, you know, what are all the things we taught that child? How are they carrying that over? What are they using in the classroom to help them support um, their, you know, helping support them accessing the curriculum that doesn't again, require a person 
to constantly be, you know, or to be consistently checking in right with them, taking them out, pushing in with them, that they're now kind of left to their own devices, but not in a negative way. I think we have to be able to foster that independence. Mm-hmm. Having kids staying on service delivery too long is also detrimental. Right. Well, and, um, you know, things are what the federal government did well with the IDEA stuff is it allows states to use the federal regulations in their own way and you in like they're able to execute them in their way. So they're specific, but not specific enough where you have to like, it's like you have to do this on this year and that, you know, there, I mean, there's timeline regulations and things like that, but other pieces are more gray, which Mm -hmm. is helpful. And so, but I, I think people don't necessarily see that or know that. So when you're thinking about service delivery, something that I've seen you do and I, and trying to instill in, in the district that I'm in is that you can change the number of services per year. You just can't remove or add a service yes. without testing. So I, it is really hard to convince public school people that that is okay. Mm-hmm. And that you can say like, you know, over the course of the next three years, you might have in your mind. Now you're only thinking year to year, but you might say in three years, this kid should be good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to, you know, in my head, we're going to start with two times 30 and then year two, we'll drop it down um, a piece and then year three, you're evaluating again. So how do you, you know, I just think that that is an option when you're thinking about service delivery, thinking ahead. And there are times that we've said to parents, you know, and, and I think I can't advocate enough for open lines of communication with family so that it's not unexpected. I think we've had a number of cases where kids have had a ton of services on their service delivery and then they test their reevaluation is all average kids doing really well, getting straight A's. Because it's not just about related services; yeah. it's math, it's yeah, reading, it's everything. It's, yeah. And so the they'll the team will the school based team will say all of these test scores, you know, this kid isn't meeting a qualification for an IEP, and then the parents get mad because it's so blindsided and. In their minds, which I don't disagree with, they're saying, yeah, they're doing well because of all because of these support. Of doing, right. And so if you're not scaffolding them or making a plan and you blindside parents at a reevaluation meeting, that's not going to go over well. Yeah. So it's really helpful to think about, think that through. Yes. And I will also speak to a little bit of the other side that even if they are well prepared and still don't want, aren't ready to accept what you're saying, I still think it's important to be a obviously compassionate and considerate advocate for your right belief as well and your your expertise and not just accepting i mean it's hard because you know a lot of times like this you don't want it to become contentious mm-hmm. and so you do have to acquiesce at times but i think it's okay to say i'm you know i'm seeing it this way and here's why i believe this and you know so a lot of times too it's about a trusting relationship if you have that with you know if you're lucky to work with students for a long period of time and you're with you know comfortable with the family or the outside parties, you might have that trust built up where they trust you to make the right decision. But, you know, I come across it. I mean, you come across people that are grateful for anything you do. You come across people who want more, 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 no matter what you, Mm -hmm. and it it can be tough in these positions because again, I think you have to assert in some way your, your side of Mm -hmm. it, but without becoming, you know, yeah, I think, I think you made a good point though. Hearing, being compassionate about what they're feeling and how they're feeling and understanding that. And that's, that's why I can't advocate more for starting to dissolve those services over the course mm-hmm. of three years so that parents can see, oh, they, they needed it twice and now they only need it one time, you know, let's try it. And in writing that in the IEP, whether it's in additional information, whether it's in methodology, we've had IEPs where we're like, we're going to start 
with this service every day, then we're gonna move six months mm -hmm. into every other day and um, and really taper the services in that way to provide. And then again, with that consultation piece, we've been able to say, we'll taper it down to half, you know, every other day. And then on one of those off days, that teacher will go into class, you know, being flexible around that. So parents don't, there's a true realistic fear there mm -hmm. of like, if I lose these services, my kid's going to fail. Right. Um, and IEPs aren't meant to give kids straight A's. They're meant to even Correct. the playing field. Right. So like keeping that in mind right. too, I think is really important. We're, we're not building superhumans. No. Right. And I think the, um, the superhuman piece is important. I think you need to advocate for what you think is best for the student. Mm -hmm. And that's what I always say, let the parent reject it. All, but also finding that middle ground so that you know, that you're, so that parents feel like you're not predetermining mm -hmm. um, without the IEP team. And I feel like there's that fine line that you walk. And in Massachusetts, it's a lot, um, from a legal perspective, it's very um, family driven. Um, you know, it's really thinking about the student first. So a lot of times um, there are a ton of legal cases. So I go to these things every year that we get all the latest trends in legal, um, law cases that school districts lose or win and it comes across now as soon as the parent says you know my kid's struggling to generalize whatever mm -hmm. in the home we lose and so I don't know that is very specific to Massachusetts I don't know what it's like from a nationwide perspective but it is very um you know for what it's worth it's very driven so we we realized we went to a pre-hearing this year because we were like, this kid's getting straight A's. He does not need all of these decoding services in seventh grade. This is crazy. And um, and sure enough, he we lost because he wasn't able to generalize the skill at home. And we realized we were like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we need to take a step back. And, and you know what? It is what it is. I think there is value in understanding that and appreciating that. I also think... Again, when we think about least restrictive environment for right. students, I mean, this kid's now missing out on so many right. opportunities for socialization throughout the day because he's being pulled for so many individualized services. Well, when you're talking about leveling the playing field, this is not a level playing field. Right. And I, I think there are, obviously, there are situational things. It's not across the board. It's not everybody. But I think it just, I feel, I have had a couple of cases in my career where I felt ethically challenged by the request of outside parties to encourage my hand in terms of, of continuing services for someone that I did not believe it was it was appropriate. And it is really a hard battle because you know as you're a therapist or you're you know a, a reading instructor, a reading specialist, you have this concept of what you want to see for your students. You want them to be independent. You want to, to kind of let them fly. And when you feel like you have to reel them back in again and take away something else to provide what you need to provide that doesn't feel fair or level and i think you know i appreciate that you're usually going to lose that battle but i don't i felt in some situations it was worth continuing to say i don't agree with this mm -hmm. i accept what i have to do i'm going to do it but i don't agree because here are the reasons why this doesn't make sense for this student and that was actually a really great learning experience for me for you know any of those times that that's happened because you do have to kind of take a step back and, and know that it's not about you. It's just this is the situation that you have really limited ability to change. And, and that's, that's that stinks. Well, and I think your your perspective, too, also comes from a, a more restrictive environment. It's so true. I think that Absolutely. your 
what I see again, and I'm not saying this all the time, but what I what I see happen at times throughout my years within public school is that you know we advocate strongly and don't listen, don't always listen mm-hmm. to the parents. So like thinking about it from the other side. So yeah. like from your perspective, I remember that situation, and we it's there's a reason why the parent didn't file, mm-hmm. you know, and kept yes. just rejecting the IEP. Well, and, and, and I will so, say at times we will get students where the parent has fought for 10 years for something yeah. that they needed that they couldn't get anywhere else. And right. we finally can provide it. So yeah. I do hear that other side yeah. of it. Um, I think in public schools where things are so, people are so, um, stretched thin in general mm-hmm. that there's yeah. this, and there isn't a lot of, like you said, overlap. So like kids are in general education and then they're in special education. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's a little bit different in public schools. And hearing parents out is really valuable because they may have a good reason. Sometimes it's just about homework. And then mm-hmm. it's like, great, let's figure that. I mean, I have firm, strong beliefs in that's another podcast. Yeah, that's like a whole other podcast episode. Um, but if it's homework help that they need. What are, why don't we just modify the homework? Right. You know what I mean? Find the value in the homework versus just doing it to, for like, busy work. But again, I think too, coming up with like, what's the, what can we start with and see if that works? Right. Before we, I, you know, I can also, as much as I'm thinking of students where maybe I was pushed to keep them too long, I've also had students where I had to push for them to have the services if mm-hmm. I wasn't the one evaluating them. Right. And then you're waiting for this kid to get what they desperately need for the approval and the, and the somebody finally signs off on it, somebody does the assessment, then they say, yeah, we don't think so. And then you have to advocate. And that's, again, unique to my type of setting. But I've seen that working the other way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now this kid's 10, now they're 11. And like we've waited a literal year and a half to two years to get the services. And we have missed this time to catch up. So it, it does work both ways. And I just think as a related service provider, I think I just try to really do the best to advocate for what my kids actually need and work with the team to make that happen in whatever capacity. And if I, if my hands are tied, they're tied, but I don't stop advocating or saying what mm-hmm. I truly believe in that situation, what the testing bears out, what my observations bear out, what my experience has taught me. But you know, yeah, you've, you've got to sometimes just accept that you're not going to get right. your word heard in the same way. Well, it's not always about the numbers too. And I think that's important to remember. You said observation. So it triggered me to say like a lot of times we miss that. That to me is probably one of the most important pieces of data. Those in the moment observations where you're actually seeing an action. Those are my thing. Where, yeah. And we don't always do. I mean, there's not time again, you're spread so thin when you're getting so many requests for evaluations or you have so many three year reevals, it's really hard to take 20 minutes or 30 minutes out of your time to go observe a kid. But numbers, numbers aren't, you know, what a student can do individually, individually doesn't always translate into an environment where there's other stimuli, where there's other kids, where they're competing with their social prag stuff, where they're competing with their attention. In a setting that like I am in where kids have so many complex needs, it is nearly impossible to just rely on Mm -hmm. testing scores. And then you unfortunately have, those individuals who will say, well, the testing score says, you know, everything's average, but this one's not. So you should take, you Mm -hmm. should pick this student up for services. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to explain to you why that could be a little lower. Here's how we can address it. We certainly don't need to. And so you're, you get all kinds of, of perspectives and you get people who are very data driven, who just look at the numbers, who aren't accounting for these being human children who have, you know, blips and ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, but I can understand in other settings where you are told you have 
you know, 30 kids to evaluate in the next month and how can you possibly know what they can really do versus like what they're showing you in a, in a small snippet of of time. So it's tough. Well, and thinking about that too, um, I, so backing up to the communication piece, one of the things I've seen that has been really valuable is the high school team I work with they have pre-conversations with families before the IEP to get their input and to open those lines of communication. And again, I can't encourage that enough Mm -hmm. to, to build the trust with the family is going to go miles and miles Mm -hmm. because they're going to trust that you're doing what's right for their student. If you're just blindly going in with, these are the test scores, here's the data, this is what we think. And you're just so like straightforward about that without any pre-communication. I mean, I've had three instances over the past year where I've ended up calling families to be like, what's going on? What do we need? And all it took, because I'm not, as an administrator, I'm not typically part of the team. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that to the parents, like, I can't make decisions in process. I can't make decisions outside of a team meeting. And frankly, because I deal with budgetary stuff, I don't necessarily want to involve myself in decisions. It could be, you know, whatever. So, but in those conversations, just being able to hear them out, it has gone miles mm-hmm. and miles at the meeting and things have turned out much more successfully, even if it's not always what the parent wants to hear. Right. Right. And I did say that earlier, the trust piece is huge and it's not always easy to establish that. I think it just depends. It, it depends, you know, what type of family, what type of, you know, how involved is the family, um, how educated are they in terms of these types of, of, um, laws and special ed and you know everybody's at a different on a different spot of the learning curve too I mean if it's a student who's just getting services maybe for the very first time not every parent knows exactly what they're entitled to what they should expect what's you know okay to ask and so I think showing that you are very transparent that you're willing to work with them that you understand where they're coming from that you're giving them answers to questions builds on that and again if they're a kid that's going to be in your system for, you know, 13, 15, whatever years, like that's going to go a long way as you go through. But if you're just, you know, in a situation for a short amount of time, it's harder to establish that. But I think it's possible to do that too. And and to really hear where they're coming Mm -hmm. from, um, goes a long way. But again, there's going to be the cases where you just, yeah, I mean, nothing's going to be perfect. Nothing we say is ever going to be perfect and change the, but I do think like, building that trust with families and even being more, I, I keep saying to the teams, like we need to be more proactive instead of reactive. So let's anticipate what, what mm-hmm. might happen and let's be proactive about it. And that that's good advice for pretty much anything. That's true. That's true. Because the more you're reactive, the more distrust they'll bring. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we, you know, in our, in, in the districts that I've worked in, the parent advisory councils, the CPACs are, really strong advocates and they bring their own PD in, their own professional development in so that they can understand these things. It would be great to get someone internally to be able to walk through the IEP process Mm -hmm. with something. So you're building that trust rather than having them have to go get the lawyer's panel to come in and tell them all the stuff they need to be watched out for when as, you know, special education, we should be able to proactively offer those type of, um, professional development or it's not professional development for families. I don't know what it is. Training training for parents. Yeah. So I don't know. I do want to add that if we have not covered something in the service delivery, um, podcast episode, please reach out to us and let us know. I think it's broad. It can, you know, I'm coming at it from one perspective. You're coming at it from another or someone else may have a different idea of what that means to them. So please feel free to, you know, comment to us, ask questions. We can definitely update that 
add it to the next podcast or we yeah we'd be happy to answer anything that's specific any any, for any episode or episode we haven't covered yet so um okay so i have a would you rather Mm -hmm. for you today this comes from 64 funny would you rather questions and you know what frankly i don't find them that funny but you know what here we go i wonder why they landed on 64 it doesn't seem to be a number that makes any sense or anything but anyway go on um okay so the one that i have found is would you rather mm-hmm. <laughs> this is silly would you rather always have bad gas or always have a really dry mouth oh jeez i'm <laughs> going to go with the dry mouth <laughs> i don't is that even debatable for people I might go gas. I don't know. What? I don't know. Why? I don't know if I could handle dry mouth all the time. Um, it's other people okay. that are affected by. Well, no, it just depends on how you. Oh wow! I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So wow. Okay. Hold wow. on. There's my oh. parameters again. Yes. I know. So, all right. So straightforward. So let's see if it affects take... everyone else negatively. Yeah. I'll sign you. I'll sign you for that one. No, but it probably affects your belly too. So I guess I would go dry mouth if okay. I had to choose. That was question. That was question number two on this. Oh, all right. Question number one. I mean, so I guess that one's a little silly, but. We're not getting question number one. We gave one question. Okay. We'll save question number one. How many do you want to do? 64. (laughs) You want to go through 64? (laughs) No. Do we have time for that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and be sure to follow us um, on our revamped accounts. um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, at Unstuck Podcast One. And yeah, let us know. Feel free to DM us or... Um, write a comment to us and we can answer any questions or any podcast ideas. We have a couple lined up, so we're really excited to get into those. So um, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye.